pound per 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 pound per per pound Yo, what's going on? Welcome to another episode. Well, social distancing, social distanced episode yes. of 699 per pound podcast. We are now live individually in our own homes. So Jojo and I are not in the physical. I don't even see her face. We are just imagining what each other is doing. <laughs> Uh, I'm half naked. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know if y'all need to know that. But yo, welcome to another episode of 699 per pound podcast, where we interview leaders and professionals from a wide variety of careers and lifestyles, just like the diverse food options found at a Korean owned hot food deli. Thank you guys for always listening. Continue to support us, especially in this time when you don't really have much to do at home. In the meantime, listen to more 699 per pound podcasts available now at Anchor, um, iTunes, Spotify. Follow 699 per pound podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can now support us monetarily at anchor.fm slash 699 per pound slash support. It'll be much appreciated. With that said, Jojo, do you want to introduce our very special guest today? Yes, I would love to. So um, we had the honor of bringing in this guest from the ways of our previous guest, uh, Rob Lim. Mm. Um, we all sort of congregated at uh, Julie Young's Thai Film Festival, and he said, you need to interview this guy. He's like the most interesting guy I've ever met. And we just started talking, and I'm like, why aren't you on our podcast yet? This is crazy. But um, speaking of slashes, we love bringing in people who are multifaceted in our podcast. He is a pro skateboarder. He has a founder of his own brand. He has so many lives, but right now he's a senior visual designer for the AR branded experiences and product at Google. So every Asian mom is is telling you to listen in right now, but please welcome Seth Cheeks. We're so excited to have you um, remotely. It's so weird not seeing you, but thanks so much for coming on Seth and social distancing. Yes, thank y'all very much. I mean, I'm humbled. This is awesome. You know, uh, Rob, you know, introduced me to 699 and then coming to Tide, you know, meeting you, Jojo, and then Julie, even meeting Marcus through like creative projects with Rob. It's just been, it's been a new door and it's awesome. I love what y'all are doing. It's, it's, It's amazing. Oh man, oh man, much love, much love. <laughs> nah, but but this is uh this is great. So since Seth, like I never met you in person, but I've heard a great deal about you. Um, you know, when people hear me, like just on a microphone, like just hearing my voice, they're like, yo, you sound like you're from New York. You know what I mean? Like they could kind of yeah. tell me from my accent to some degree. Um yeah. I could definitely tell. Uh, you do have a little bit of a, a unique accent of your own. Like, can you tell our listeners, like, where you from originally? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Mississippi. Um, so, Jackson, Mississippi, actually. Uh, moved around a little bit in Mississippi, like Clinton, and then Jackson, and then an area called Madison. Um, yeah. So, way down south. Um, super southern, but... You know, people always tell me you don't really have such a southern accent. 
usually when I'm talking to family, it maybe get a little thicker, but uh, yeah, originally from Mississippi. And then I moved out west to California for a while. And so I think that probably smoothed out a little bit of that Southern accent. Got you. Well, I mean, we're definitely going to come back to it. But uh, Jojo, do you want to like kind of let's, let's ask Seth what he does, you know, like cause <laughs> you, you seem to know a little bit more about him than I do. Yeah, I mean... Um, well, number one, also, Seth, your voice is very soothing. I think you should totally record a meditation um, mm. during this time of need. Okay, <laughs> you you cool. can totally imagine Seth being like, close your eyes. <laughs> mm, nah, for real. Definitely. <laughs> it's very, very soothing. Um, no. But yeah, we talked a little bit. I mean, you are so multifaceted. You're a designer, but you design can mean so many things. And you actually have dabbled into multiple mediums. So maybe we will work from where you are now but go backwards of what you used to do but what is ar branded experience it sounds very future forward um and can you just walk us through like your current role at google now and your team yeah yeah um so really i mean ar is a weird word for most people but just high level i think people have messed around probably with like instagram filters before yeah. you know like the face filters and that's a form of augmented reality mm. um and really it's anything out in the world that could be a graphic or some type of information mixed with the real world to like help people wait like and pokemon so go Pokemon Go is a perfect oh. example. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that, shit. Yes, yes. And that's like the game side of it, right? Yeah. Um, but you're, there's signs and there's directions and there's all these things woven in that is the augmented part of the reality. And you're, you're kind of being led by that or directed and guided. And so that's the layer of technology mm. in the environment. Yeah, it's augmented reality. So, so you oversee, so you're like in a part of the team and you are like one of the visual designers for this AR branded experience. Right, for, right. I yeah. mean, so can you give us like some examples of products at Google that utilizes um, AR? So maps and how things will pop up and show like street signs and like navigation layered over the street and directions like that. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a perfect example. I, I wouldn't say... I don't know. There's there's also Lens, which is in the phone itself. It's called Lens, where you can hold up your phone and it'll scan the environment and it'll give you information about what's going on. Oh. That's that's a, a sense of like augmented reality that you're starting to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when we... Because I'm trying to think. So it sounds like it's very user focused and you talk about the user a lot. Um, yeah. So... What makes, you know, AR different? You know, it's not just about making something pretty, right? And making something beautiful. It seems like there's another layer to that. Yeah, yeah. I think, so that's really good. I struggle a little bit with um, being a visual designer and coming from the agency space and then moving into the product space and it being like user first, user first always. Mm. Like the technology um, can create, you know, a solution and then you can make a product out of that, but it doesn't really have to be that beautiful, right? Mm, it doesn't yeah, really have to right. be the best visual because as long as it's providing, you know, the service or the need for the person, you know, they might be blind, they might be handicapped and they need to check their bank account. 
like that just needs to work. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's a huge part of me kind of moving from the agency space into the product space and like really shifting my thinking um, and starting with the user first always and making sure like the the teams and, and, and the product, you know, roadmap that we're working with is always coming back to that. And it's always about the user first. And then what I do with the products is I try to add that, that layer of like pushing the visual bar, making sure it's beautiful, making sure the motion and the interaction and everything that, that the person is experiencing is just like super delightful. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really where I tie everything together. Mm. Yeah. Now, so, I mean, just for the listeners to kind of get a sense of like, a better understanding because you know when when people say design you know they oftentimes associated with fashion they oftentimes associated with very um uh, i would say like literal interpretation as in like oh graphic design a poster uh you know a website but you know essentially what you are describing is something that entails um much more holistic coming up with these ideas like especially for a big multinational brand like Google, what 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 are like some of the initial process that like the, the like the ideation process, and then eventually getting into the design process? Like, can you kind of uh, give us a breakdown of those steps? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really great. Um, so usually how I work and like I, I like to work is that. Um, I'll connect with like research or I'll hear needs that research has found through like discovery phases. And then I'll partner with them to start more the definition of what we're going to start building. And I'll work with research. I'll grab a PM and we'll maybe get in a room and we'll just start writing and sketching together. Well, what is a PM? Product manager. Mm -hmm. Mm. So usually there's a product manager and then there's the Inge team that I'm working with. And so usually that's how it kind of kicks off mm -hmm. is, is they'll be like, Hey Seth, we want you to like work with this PM and we want you to work with these engineers and start to think about, you know, um, how we're going to define these solutions and what it's going to look like. And so I'll start sketching ideas, making design docs, you know, asking the engineers, what are our constraints? What can we do? Um, you know, and start start there usually and that's really just it's like a brainstorming phase but you're also really pulling from the research that um has been found and in, in, in the needs that you're solving yeah so wow. who gets to decide and at the, at the point where you start brainstorming has this product been greenlit or are you getting it to a place where you'll present it to like the higher levels who will fund it fully? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, the things that I've worked on haven't been greenlit yet. Mm. Um, it's getting it to a point where we'll prototype, we'll test, and then we move into a phase of like approval processes. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of, um, you know, the initial step. Sometimes I've worked on projects and products where it's like, hey, can you step in and kind of like redesign this thing? Yeah. Or what would you do here in this situation? Um, and so that, those are, those happen much faster, right? They don't need as much approval. It's more testing the new designs and um, working with research to make sure everything is aligning like back to the user. And we're following those like core use cases and we're creating like 
the solutions around these like user journeys. Mm. So, so, I mean, in order for a product to hit the market for mass consumption, uh, especially for a company like Google, I'm sure the approval process and then the steps to even get to the phase where uh, a board of people is going to sign off on, whether it hits the market or not, I'm sure it's like a very rigorous uh process you know what i mean and like if you could just kind of give us just for people that could use google maps and could use like all these google products without any sort of like care in the world like yo like we just got this shit and it's you know like they don't they don't they take all of this for granted for most of the time like can you tell us like what is the percentage of uh products that gets like ideated in the farm league and hits like the actual market what is like the percentage of that uh i have no idea honestly because you you got to think like um you're constantly thinking of ideas and experimenting and so you never know Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. the market could shift or things can change and it's yeah that's a pretty I don't, I, I, I wouldn't know because you think about Google search, right? Like that wasn't intended to be made. They weren't like, we're going to make a search engine. Mm-hmm. They were working on all these other things and search just happened to come out of that and then work for people yeah. and they needed mm-hmm. it. And so that's also how products start to happen is like, you know, a lot of experimentation, working with the people who you know, the users out in the world who are, are needing things and like, how can Google, how can Google help? And it sees that. And then we, you know, and then you might start working with different teams who have those skill sets and experiment and you never know what would come out of that sometimes. Um, but as soon as it starts to get defined, then that's where, um, like you said, Jakey, like there's a percentage that you could maybe tack onto that to see whether it would be really launched into the public and and, and be super beneficial. I think what really made us excited to talk to you is that you don't look like or you don't have the background of a lot of your coworkers, maybe someone who is at the typical Google employee, you know, when he may have he or she may have gone to an Ivy League school or, um, you know, geeked out and was really good at coding or I'm totally stereotyping at this point, but could you really give us an insight of like why that might be the case? Like why you might kind of stand out if we were to walk in the office? And just to, just to, and just to add to Jojo's point, I used to go into that Google building quite often. Oh, for the um, free food? (laughs) Well, for the free cafeteria food, but also for, um, you know, the Nike office used to be there oh. before they uh, moved to, uh, they, they got their own HQ on in Midtown. Mm-hmm. So, like, whenever I would enter the building, you know, obviously, you're fascinated. Like, this is Google. Yeah. So, like, the type, but the type of people that would walk in and out, you know, it's literally the stereotypical tech bro, you know, vibe tech that bro, you get. You know what I mean? A lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of Asian brothers, you know, brown and yellow, you know what I mean? And, uh, they, they, they look, they look like dudes that, you know, like Jojo described, man, like straight up and down Ivy league, like kids that I like, but I wouldn't necessarily like, yo, like let's hang out and shit. You know what I mean? No disrespect, yeah. no disrespect, but you know what I'm saying? Like I, that was the vibe that I get, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we seen your resume, you know what I mean? We've seen the, 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 the path that you have uh, crossed and we just kind of mm-hmm. want to know like, yo, how did this all happen for you? 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I feel there has been a lot of moments where I felt like super out of place. But, um, you know, I, I dropped out of school in the ninth grade. And I was pretty much like... Uh, That's see- crazy. Yeah. Wow. Bro, was- like ninth grade is not even like, yo, I dropped out like when I had a kid <laughs> in junior year in high school. It's like, yo, you're, thir- <laughs> you're like 13. Weren't you like 13 or 14? You just decided to drop the fuck out? I, I was I was actually 15, 15 because I failed early on in lower grades. What? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So you got left back? Yeah, I got left back in the second grade. I got I had to repeat How do that. you get left back in the second grade? Bro? <laughs> yeah, for real. But That's you crazy. Know, yeah. And, and I was pretty much a C and D student. You know, maybe there was a few moments where I, I made a B or a better grade, but you know, I, my, my parents divorced when I was three mm-hmm. and my mom was a pretty hardcore addict my whole life. And I did, and I, li- I grew up with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really have a relationship with my dad until around the age of like 25. But growing up, you know, it wasn't ever like, oh, what's your schoolwork? Let's sit down and look over your work or let's go over these things. No one supervised me at yeah. all. You know, you heard the term latchkey kid um, a lot from certain, you know, periods. Mm-hmm. And that was that was me from a, a super young age. Like my mom would be gone from like Friday to Monday morning a lot of times that I would just be home with like pizza, microwavable oh stuff and like a Mm -hmm. post-it with some numbers to call in case of an emergency. And I would just basically spend a lot of time alone. You raised yourself, Uh, basically. I I, I, I guess. (laughs) Yo, man, no disrespect to, um, you know, like your experience. But when I said like, yo, you got left back at second grade. I mean, that just kind of showcases like how much of a sheltered, uh, privileged community, maybe like a person like myself have come from. You know what I mean? Like it's unimaginable. Yeah, mm-hmm. like having a very strict Asian filial piety uh, family structure, you know what I mean? But that's that's pretty insane that you were able to essentially raise yourself since you were like such a little little per- such a young person. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say the thing about uh, strict or parents and stuff like that. Like you know, some other upbringings because later towards the end of my mom's life, when she was actually, you know, I'd find her, I'd pick her up in the streets or I would go to like a gas station at like Mm 4am and like find her. I would get in these arguments with her and I would, you know, kind of lay into her about how she wasn't being the person she needed to be or all the things that I kind of felt, like you said, like, where were you during these times? You know, like I'm still dealing with that, you know, and all the, all this stuff. And I realize now that she wasn't even in a headspace to comprehend what i was saying to her and so um you were her parent essentially if you think about it i was i was at many times and what's also crazy is from the outside we look like we had a really great life Mm -hmm. like my mom ended up getting her own business her and my stepfather had both car auction license Mm. so they would go and buy these cars that were kind of broke down and he was a mechanic and he was like a foreign car mechanic so he could fix bmws and mercedes and so he would buy these cars that basically needed like a new transmission or an old engine of some sort and he would rebuild them and then they would flip them and sell them and so they would make really good money and um so growing up i never all the material things 
I had. There wasn't anything I wanted that wasn't material, but there wasn't any adults mm-hmm. around. And so um, it was it was it was a very interesting, th- you know, kind of thing. But when they were around, it was like walking on eggshells yeah. because there was lots of verbal abuse. There was physical abuse. And I was constantly hiding and kind of trying to like dodge these like moments and so by the time ninth grade rolled around i had a car and i'd been driving and i oh was my like God, Fuck are you serious this. you were driving <laughs> oh yeah you can get your driver's license at 15 oh, really? in mississippi or you could oh. you could I, I, maybe it's changed mm-hmm. but yeah and so i basically was like you know i'd be sitting in mm-hmm. class and i'd be looking around and i was like what the fuck is everybody mm-hmm. doing like, this is not normal. Like, I can't come here and act like life is normal when everything is really fucked yeah. up. And so I remember going home and I told my mom, I was like, you can withdraw me or whatever the process is, but I'm not going back to school. Like, I just can't, I can't do yeah. it. And so um, we had a lot of different things that happened in that moment. Like, she tried to get me to go to this other, like, learn at your own pace school so I could at least complete and that didn't work out. And then it was just, you know, there was a lot of things going on with, you know, a lot of people I was around were doing things that basically you do in the South when you're bored, you know, experimenting with drugs, selling drugs, getting arrested, going to prison. And so thankfully I had a skateboard Mm -hmm. and that's what really saved me was just being able to go I don't have to interact with anyone. I don't have to talk to anyone. I can just go into this parking lot and ride the skateboard, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I had older friends who were really cool and, you know, a, a childhood best friend who, like, we were buddies and we skated, you know, grew up together. And the skateboard is what kept me going yeah. the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So, if anything, skateboarding was your escape. Yeah. I think, Rob, I really never knew about like the skateboarding culture like the first introduction was to be honest avril levine's later skater boy um but Mm -hmm. just hearing about this culture especially when we had rob on and he kind of alluded to the same things as you i was like he i felt like an outsider nobody looked like me people were making fun of how i talked and and Mm -hmm. he was going through a rough thing and this for some reason this board was like a unifier amongst these like a motley crew and people and it seems like it was like for you too but i want to ask you too like what do you think it is about skateboarding that draws these types of people yeah and and, and to add to jojo's point i mean the skateboarding fucking hurts yeah, man it's dangerous like, <laughs> you know, you know, that shit is not an easy sport Mm-mm. to master like you know i i used to skateboard when i was like you 10 did? and yo I'm, i almost busted my oh, head God. and i was like yo fuck this shit oh, i ain't doing God. this man this like i ain't got health insurance yo fuck this you know what I mean? so yeah the, you know if you could answer jojo's point yeah, I think there's a there's many things, and um, you know the the getting hurt mm. part. It's really crazy. You know, I, this might come off a little weird, but I was actually thinking recently about like people who like physical pain or like they they cut themselves right at a mm-hmm. young age because they're going through something so emotionally or intense and they can't balance this, and the pain makes the mind focus somewhere yeah. else, and it's kind of like a release, and so even falling on a skateboard and you get hurt, it it makes you become like, oh, I'm human. I'm grounded. I forget about everything else. And I have to focus. I have to be on my board. I can't be thinking about what's going on at home. I'm not thinking about school. I'm not thinking about not being accepted or whatever it may Mm -hmm. be in the world. I'm on my board 
and everything else kind of fades away. And so that and at a young age, starting to see skateboard videos for the first Mm -hmm. time, I saw just such a diverse culture of people listening to rap and all that in the 90s was like basically teaching me and helping me. And it was giving me these, these, like this other strength that I wasn't getting anywhere else that was like, Oh, this is it. This I'm drawn to this. This is what's helping me. This is, this is a gift to me right now, you know? And so I think a lot of kids who come from broken homes or their home life is really kind of like, it's not right or not normal. That was a thing that you, you gravitated toward was a skateboard and you would be around other people who were kind of like weird or, or freaks. And you were like, I don't care. Hey, you're a freak. I'm mm-hmm. a freak. I got shit going on. Let's just hang out and like ride boards together, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that was the acceptance of yeah. it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, I also wanted to add the fact that, um, you know, about your heritage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cause, uh, you know, six ninety nine per pound, we definitely like to champion people of color, mm-hmm. minority groups, um, and uh, you know your 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 other your, your a part of your heritage is uh, that you're Cherokee. Yes. Can you can you talk tell us about that? And you know, as I started to you know even living in San Francisco, and as I was kind of like getting further away from my yeah. mom and not feeling the pressure of her control and manipulation, mm-hmm. I started to really kind of seek those things out. I wanted to learn more about it. You know, something inside of me was like, Hey, you need to connect with your dad. You need to really find the truth of these, what's going on with Mm -hmm. them and the story you've been told through your mother versus what's really happened. And so reconnecting with him, you know, later in life, you know, like he, yeah, he basically, his side of the family, they're Cherokee, my grandfather um, and my grandmother, that side of the family has, they're from a part of Tennessee called Teleco Plains and it's near an area called Indian Boundary. It's actually a part of the, you know, East, mid East where the uh, Trail of Tears started. And so he's actually been um, a forest ranger my whole life. And I didn't really get that until I was Mm -hmm. older that, Oh, he feels so connected to the land and he wants to preserve it and protect it. That's why he's been up in the mountains, like surveying and protecting these areas and like watching over this stuff for so long and so tied to it. And it started making me really think more and want to learn more. But my dad also told me as I started talking to him and learning more, he's like, you didn't want to let people know, you know, like he, people, judged him they said a lot of racist things for him he had no friends in school he had one friend who was actually he was Cherokee as well Mm -hmm. his name was Joe and he lived up in the mountains and basically um there was other guys that my grandfather would take my dad with when he would go on certain trips or go to like look at things in the mountains and those guys who lived up there he said were straight up living Native American Cherokee guys like you didn't question if they were Mm -hmm. Indian. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, my, my dad, you know, obviously he's mixed because of, you know, time and, you know, and those things, but, um, yeah, so he didn't have any friends. He, he has some pretty interesting stories. And, um, my great grandmother was actually like, he said people would come over and they would get medicine from her or he would, she would basically give them things to heal themselves. And so he noticed a lot of that happening at a young age and um, things like that. So there was a little bit of a culture and part of things that they 
he knew about, but in the mountains and and, and the racism that was going on, you kind of just wanted to change and you kind of wanted to not, you wanted to blend in as much as possible because this, you know, he said he'd be in the car sometimes with my grandfather and there would literally be like dead bodies in the road. And my grandfather would have to turn around and go a different way because people would be, you know, had either hung someone or just, you know, being that's crazy. You know, mm-hmm. Racist. Yeah. 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 That's nuts. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. I mean, um, but I think aside from the fact that you connected with your heritage, uh, after mm-hmm. reconnecting with your father, um, yeah. you've also mentioned to us in our pre-interview that, um, you all, you decided to get your GED and it kind of, it, it kind of helped create the foundation for you to become and a designer eventually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was living in San Francisco, I left, I left Mississippi when I was around 19. Um, I drove a friend of mine back out to SF who had been living there Mm -hmm. for a while. And um, I ended up getting sponsored. I thought I wasn't going to stay there. I thought I was going to get to spend the summer and then end up having to go back to Mississippi, but I got sponsored. And then what happened from there was, getting to go into the art departments or pick up boards and yeah. product from my sponsors, mm-hmm. I would see guys on the computer or drawing and making graphics. And I'd be like, yo, what is this? What are you doing? <laughs> and they'd be like, this is Photoshop. Don't you know what this is? I was like, no, what's Photoshop? And oh, then they man. would start to like, this is how we get the graphics on the boards and make the stuff. And I was like, you went to school for this? And they'd be like, yeah. And they were just kind of shocked. And I was like, tell me yeah. more. And and, I can see yeah. you like beaming. Wait, how old were you at this time? I was around like 20, 20. I was, it was around 20, 21 when it first, when I first started connecting mm-hmm. the dots of what that was. Oh yeah. My gosh. So you were just curious, yeah. precocious, asking them questions. Oh my God. I was probably so <laughs> annoying, you know? Yeah. What made, what do you, why do you think they helped you so much? Why, why do you, why do you think they were like, nah, just go away, kid? Why, why do you think they were really interested in helping you out? Probably the skateboarder, you know, connection, mm. I think. Yeah. You know, most skaters who are like real mm. skaters, they want to help mm. other skaters. It's, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like good people helping good people. You know, it doesn't matter. It's like, and that's what I feel skateboarding is to a degree. It's, that's what it is for me. It, yeah, it's for like, sure. it's all the people who basically aren't getting helped or done or, or seen a certain way. We yeah. see you, we see everybody and we care about everybody. And that's really, yeah. I feel like the skateboard community, uh, like, you know, like I know, I know some dudes that like house each other whenever they're in town, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. if they come to New York, you know, like some of these couches are essentially, uh, like bed and breakfast for like a lot of these skateboard dudes. Like it's just like a rotational thing within the community. I noticed so there's definitely a sense of uh, there's a strong sense of that. Uh, yeah. But with that said, I mean, after, you know, you discover like, yo, like there's actually people having a career with this shit. Um, you taught yourself how to do like Adobe Suite. Um, you've also attended like a technical school. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And like just the fact that like teaching yourself how to do Adobe Photoshop. I mean, I'm assuming this is like way before the advent of youtube like how did you teach yourself how to do that you know what i mean because that's not an easy thing to master if you don't have like guidebooks and you yeah. know 
You know, yeah. it's a lot of trial and error and a lot of frustration. Like I almost broke my monitor one time trying to like understand so how to crop a photo. <laughs> yeah, because you know, like Photoshop, it could, you know, because you got to press patience, like, man. It, it, like 30 different buttons, you know what I mean, yeah. to get one thing done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, you know, honestly, when I was made the decision to get my GED and start the process, I remember like the first week I was in that little tech school and they were teaching us how to do some layouts. And, you know, I, I remember being like, I've made the biggest mistake in my life. <laughs> what? I like, this is so hard. This is so difficult. I don't want to do this. This is like mm -hmm. schoolwork. And I was starting to feel really like dumb again, in a sense, because I always felt that from, you know, dropping out and the way everything was, it was like, I only knew skateboarding my whole life. And so now here I am trying to be feel like I was trying to be this person when really I just wanted to make some graphics and maybe make some t-shirts and turn that into something, right? Um, I did buy a couple books outside of my classes that I found that were way easier to digest. Mm -hmm. So like Adobe mm -hmm. has these, they used to have these things called Adobe Bibles and they're basically like Illustrator Bible. And it was this massive thing, like mm -hmm. an old phone book. And you would basically go from cover to cover and do all the lessons and everything in it. And you are like a master in that application. And so that's what they gave oh, wow. us for school. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to read this phone book. I want something that I can make like a cool little thing, learn this little trick, and then I'll figure the rest out. And so I was trying to find books uh -huh. and other things that were a little more simple. And at the time there was this, this site and this book, company it's called lynda.com and their books were way easier to digest for me oh, yeah. yeah and so mm -hmm. that's what really kind of like flipped the switch and was like oh i just need to learn mm -hmm. a different way yeah you yo know? i mean i just mm -hmm. wanted to kind of put out like a, a 699 psa man yo if you are a young person or even an older person who wants to uh kind of have a shift in career or yo like even if you don't have like the traditional route of education man yo listen you got to tune in right now man listen to what seth is saying you know there's yeah. definitely different i mean the destination might be the same but the road to the destination is different for everybody you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And I think what you said is so powerful, Seth, like everyone, how you had that realization that like, wait, I'm not dumb. I'm not not getting it. I'm, I just learn differently. I think that's really p great for kids who feel the same way you do growing up, like especially sometimes like growing up with Asian American parents, like they learned a very specific way. And um, even with my little brother, he actually has um, Asperger's syndrome, so he just has a hard time digesting things in a traditional way. And when we didn't know he had that, we just thought he just didn't work hard or mm -hmm. he didn't care or um, maybe he was like just not getting it. But then to realize that, no, he just speaks a different language. Yeah. You know, if you think about it like that, it just becomes more approachable and you don't you're not so down on yourself. So I'm really yeah. glad you said that too. 
for our listeners to digest. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that that was like a huge mm-hmm. turning point for me is realizing like mm-hmm. I learned differently. And when I first started mm-hmm. getting into like motion design and playing with web tools mm-hmm. in school, you know, this was like a two year tech college. Like the, the class doesn't even mm-hmm. exist anymore. It, it was just something wow. that this, you know, this college created a graphic design course you can take for two years and you get like a certificate when you're done. I just wanted to learn the mm-hmm. software so I could get to back to doing what I wanted to do. And so when I started playing with mm-hmm. motion design tools, I started realizing, oh, this is actually math. This is this has some mm-hmm. numbers and this is related to math and physics. And why didn't anyone ever say this is this is how I could learn math, you know? And like then I started mm-hmm. getting really excited and like the thing started to spiral. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important. Like people have to know that like everyone is different and we all see the world so differently. And so w- we just need to find our way of learning and then also share that with others so we can have this like super vast perspective and like come together. That's how the best problems are solved right and so that's that's so key yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome and so you so you go from you successfully graduated yay yeah yeah (laughs) i'm assuming um and you mentioned like Mm -hmm. motion design and stuff like that and so how did you get from okay i have some experience i've made some stuff like how do i start making money how did you get your first job this little business that was actually on the same road as my school came and they were like, we need some logos made. And so our teacher Mm kind of like gave us this, uh, you know, brief and I designed some logos and then the company liked the logos I made. They're like, Hey, we want you to design a logo for this, um, like a real estate company. And they're like, we haven't been able to nail what the person wanted do you think you could do mm-hmm. it? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to, you know, give me work, whatever. And they were like, it's a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I was like, great, I'm rich, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> I made a logo, I made a, a bunch of logos, but they ended, the client ended up loving one of them. And that, that company hired me while I was in school before I graduated. And so I, then I shifted from wow. day classes to night classes and I would go to work from eight to five. And then I would go to class from six to nine forty-five at night. And, and, and I did oh that for like the last year. And that's where I I started learning from some of those guys at that company who were doing like websites. They were doing like audio for like, uh, you know, ads on the radio and stuff. And I realized like, Oh, I can actually do my job for other people too. And so I started freelancing Mm -hmm. on the side with friends in the skate company companies that I, I knew in the past and started making like graphics for wheels or like a couple board graphics here and there. And so I was starting to make like a little bit of change on the side and that kind of snowballed into me freelancing, making websites uh, like across the world for all kinds of companies or things that would come up and specifically New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Speaking of transferable skills, who'd have thought that um, you starting as a skateboarder, you learn some skills at like the unsexiest place, a real estate right, right. company, but then you transfer those skills into the things that you're passionate about. I think that's really cool. And I think that's what I tell a lot of the younger kids of like, your first job might not be the sexiest brand. Your first job is not going to mm-hmm. be your dream job, 
but it's all about what you learn and how you can transfer that to your dreams. It's like a stepping stone. So that's, that's really creepy. For sure. For sure. So like, yeah. let's, let's, you know, if we could talk a little bit about, um, cause I, I know we did mention the fact that, you know, you coming from a different route, uh, it, it made you more hungry, made you work harder, made you appreciate things more in the process. But, uh, did that like ever get to your head? Like, did you have to feel like, man, I got to constantly prove myself? Um, you know, was there any sort of anxiety that came along with that? Yeah, all the time, all the time. I felt, I felt out of place all the time because, you know, especially once I got into like these more larger agency spaces, working with these big brands, I was like, oh, all these people have gone to like these dope ass schools and they've been doing this, you know, since the nineties or know about tech for a long time or whatever it is. I've, I've just been skating, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then basically what happened was I was around a few guys who, who, who saw what I, I knew and they, they knew how to use my skills and that started helping me get comfortable. But yeah, I always kind of mm -hmm. felt I didn't belong. Yeah. Yeah, because it's hard. I You mentioned that the skating family and skating has always been your outlet and your passion. And that's kind of like your safe space, right? Um, but going from there back out into the world where, you know, you feel judged, you feel mm -hmm. different. And people, again, are speaking kind of different languages yeah. <laughs> because of the background yeah. they worked on. Um, like that must have been so hard for you. Like, did you feel the need to kind of change yourself so i i you know this comes back to kind of being alone as a kid i always felt let me make myself invisible but i can talk through my work so mm -hmm. i you know there was times when i would have like panic attacks at work or you know all these things um uh -huh. and I didn't really know how to talk in these environments, but I knew if someone asked something of me to some degree, mm -hmm. oh, let me apply my skills and make that thing for you. But don't, I don't want to mm -hmm. present it. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't make me get up and talk in front of anybody. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, I don't want to have to talk in front of anybody or explain this shit. Just let me do what you need me to do and I'll step aside, you know, um, because I enjoyed the making process and creating the thing and solving the problem, but I didn't know how to interact with people. And so I still felt that I was kind of hiding a little bit. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I didn't really know about the changing part as much because I felt like I always had this thing of like, well, fuck you. I'm a skater. It, this is how it is. Like, this is me. I'm not going to get up and like talk and have a conversation, but I'll do the work. Mm -hmm you know, and mm -hmm. I'll make sure that yeah. you need me as an asset because I'm going to keep sharpening these skills, but I don't know if I'll ever be the guy standing at the front of the room being like, okay, I created all these ideas. Check right, me out. Da, right, da, da, da. Right, like, right. That's just not me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, nah, I, I, and I totally mm -hmm. agree with you on that. Not because I'm like you, I'm actually the guy that likes to be in front of the room and present and talk. But, uh, I have people, uh, around me that, you know, that probably did majority of the work that actually did the actual uh uh that actually did the actual work but it's just not part of their skill set or part of their um experience to be good at public speaking 
And I think a lot of people Mm. are sometimes like prevented from getting more credit that then they deserve. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And um, was there anything that you had to do to eventually, uh, you know, kind of improve those parts about yourself? Oh, yeah. Constantly. I feel, especially as you move up in your career path, people want you to be more at the front, right? They're like, oh, we need you mm-hmm. to present. Oh, we love what you're doing. Come and share this and talk about it. And I'm kind of like, yeah. ah, okay. Because, you know, I realized at that point, I need to work on this. I have to get better mm-hmm. at this. I have to get more comfortable at it. And, and you know, Jakey, like one thing that happened once I was actually working on a, a project at a at an agency called RGA. Um, For sure. I was, For I was sure. on a, yeah, I was on a, an account, um, a Nike account. And actually one of my directors, he was Korean. He was a, he's an amazing dude and he helped me so much, but uh, he actually was changing some of my work at the last minute before I had to present or we had to present to the client. And I got really angry and, but you know, he was my director. He knew what I needed to change. And so I'm sitting there changing stuff. Everyone's in the meeting I'm exporting everything and then I got to walk in late and present it and talk. And I was so angry and I was mad inside because I was the frustration and everything. And when I got up to talk, I wasn't worried about nobody in the room. I wasn't worried about nothing. And I just had the information. Mm -hmm. I knew I had done Mm -hmm. the work and I was like, here's what it is. This is what happens when you interact with it this way. Here's what it's going to be. And everybody was like, oh, this is great. Thank you. And I was like, okay. And I bounced and left the room. And I went and I sat down. I was like, that was so easy. What, what was up? And I, and I realized like the anger made me focus. It cleared mm-hmm. my head. Yeah. 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 It's like when you're about to do a trick. You're just clear. <laughs> you're, you have to be clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just like, I just have to nail this. And because that's when I can get the hell out of here. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that was, that was interesting. It made me start paying attention to my thoughts a little more and how I could get in my head. And that was actually what was keeping me from being able to speak at the front of the room or be the guy that could stand up and really walk through my work clearly, because I would just be in my head thinking, well, am I being clear? Do they understand what I'm saying? Am I talking properly? Da-da-da. Because mm-hmm. I didn't go to a school where I even took those types of classes. I was never around anyone who was you know, I wasn't ever at the front of the class speaking. I was never that person. Yeah. And so now I'm in these mm-hmm. like rooms with a lot of people and I have the work, but I'm not really comfortable standing up here talking in front of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember um, way back when, when I was a wee little uh, lass, um, I took some graphic design classes at Art Center and I had a really charismatic teacher and even as like a high schooler, I understood what type of person he was. He was someone who was so talented, but because he wasn't able to sell himself, I think he was kind of stagnating and teaching these classes. Mm-hmm. And because he would always kind of talk about like, you know, there's like three types of designers, a designer who's put his head down and, um, you know, maybe kind of hide, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, um, create beautiful, great work. But then, you know, just kind of hides behind his work. You have another designer who's like, you know, a shit as mm-hmm. his work, but is good at selling yes. it and is good at talking out of his yeah. ass. And then obviously, you know, there's one that you 
aspire to be, which is someone who has an element of both. Right. And I think maybe he was kind of projecting his past to us and because he was emphasizing that it wasn't just a design that mm-hmm. mattered because he always had us go around and explain our mm-hmm. work and he was kind of sometimes would be scary to yeah. us. And we're like, we're just in high school. Why do we have to practice this? But he's like, no, this is important. You have to be able to communicate mm-hmm. it because or else someone else is going to do Not that for 1000%. you. Not 1,000%. I mean, I'm definitely one of those types that actually talks out of my ass. You know what I mean? And I'm not even gonna. <laughs> at least, I, at least I'm not even gonna lie to you, man. I've, 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 you know, I've gotten A's in projects like then presentation without even a deck. You know what I'm saying? Oh Just wow! From me talking out of my ass. <laughs> so how have you been working on it? Like, what are some ways that is helping you um, not get so psyched out by? like presenting and, and, and going through the motions. Yeah. Uh, meditation is a huge one. Meditation mm-hmm. and then reading about like awareness practice, reading about and understanding what these things are like within yourself and like myself that, that triggers these feelings, right? Cause these are feelings and emotions that are getting triggered. Either people have yeah. them or don't people can get up in front of the room. They're not triggered to feel like, a panic attack coming on because they're just trying to talk to people. Right. But mm-hmm. I grew up in a household where if you got up and disagreed with me, shit was going to hit the fan. Right. Like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. did, we didn't talk like that. There wasn't a back and forth dialogue. So now I'm in these rooms where we're having a back and forth dialogue and someone's disagreeing with me. And in my head, I'm like, I guess we're about to fight in this room right now. Mm-hmm. I know that's not yeah, going to happen, yeah. but that's what goes through your mind. And so it starts yeah. to create this like emotion that just comes over you. And so I needed to figure out what that was and what was triggering these feelings that are holding me back from moving forward because I don't want to be like that. I'm tired of this anxiety mm-hmm. and these layers that are just, you know, that are holding me in a place where I can only speak through a visual way. I want to be verbal as well. Um, what are some unconventional maybe methods that you've explored to help explore your anxiety? I think in the pre-interview, um, you mentioned going to a shaman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, a while back, you know, uh, as Jakey, we we're talking about connecting with my dad and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, his side of the family. I was reading a book called Shamans Through Time. And I kind of started learning about the body waking up and releasing this energy or either storing Uh energy because of past hurts or pain or not being able for energy to flow properly. You know, Uh that's, you know, in, in Asian culture, this is, this is known, right? Like, you know, about your chi and things like that, which is so beautiful. But in the West, it's like, we're so consumed with our thoughts and kind of like, our presentation on the outside layer. If you're a mess on the inside, yeah. that's fine. What what are we presenting to the world? Are they fooled? That's how I have felt a lot, right? And so I yeah. grew up like that too. That's how my mom was. So yeah, I kind of started coming back to those things of, oh, let me go check out a shaman. Let me check out these things that are basically, why am I storing this fear? Why am I storing these things that I was like reading about? And so, yeah, I went and saw a shaman um, and she did like this um, energy cleansing um, session. It was pretty mm-hmm. amazing. And so uh, to me, it was kind of like a storm. It was kind of like the rain coming, washing everything away and then like starting fresh again. And that's, that's yeah. really what it felt like. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think because the few meditations that I've done that has been really effective for me because I, you know, Seth knows and people know, but I also have a lot of anxiety. Um, there are certain meditations that are um, where they force you to visualize something, you know, and it tends to be nature, really, you know, visualize, you know, a wave or visualize and, you know, becoming aware and that connecting to the nature. I think that's something that's really distinguishes, I think, Native American culture of like how much they appreciate the the land and the moments. And I think I think that's where the Zen comes from. Um, and that's been the most helpful type of meditations for me. I know there's a bunch, but Seth, when you meditate, do you kind of have a script that you follow? Do, do you self-lead or do you listen to some of them like online or Headspace? I actually do TM, like transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a f- couple years ago, I kind of had a little breakdown and I was like, I'm leaving New York. I can't deal with it. It's loud. Mm-hmm. I'm stressed. Like, why can't I just calm down? I'm, I'm just like yeah. overwhelmed. And so I, I took two weeks off and I ended up just, you know, it all happened because I was watching some YouTube videos and I saw where, <laughs> yeah, these, these, these soldiers who have PTSD who were like, wanting to commit suicide, learn TM. And then all these like inner city kids had learned TM and how it was like changing mm-hmm. their lives. I was like, shit, man, I got to learn this. And so yeah. that's what I went and, you know, I, I, I learned how to meditate with that technique. And then yeah. um, also, can you explain what the technique is for our listeners who might not know? So it's a mantra based technique. And so mm. basically you're, you're giving a, uh, you know, a mantra that's unique to you. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a four day course. It's like an hour and a half or two hours and you get a, an instructor. And basically, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was first learning about this, I was like, why can't I find the answers online? Like, I just want to know what this is. Like I need to know. And I was, I was really kind of bummed. And then once I went there and I realized like, oh, there's like this tradition about, not talking about stuff, right? Because everything we look for in our life is on the outside of our body. We're like, oh, I'm feeling crazy. I need a beer. You know, that's fine. Uh, Oh, oh, I'm feeling this way. I need to do this. Uh, You know, and we're seeking all the time outside of us. And so really this mantra-based meditation is, is teaching you to go inward and you keep everything silent within you. And so when you start to feel a certain way, you realize, oh, I have the tools. Everyone has the tools already within us, but we just haven't been taught how to use them. And mm-hmm. so that mantra-based meditation and that technique is great. And I think anybody who is interested should read and learn and see if it's right for them. But for me, sound and, and other mantras, like uh, there's a, a Buddhist Tibetan mantra. It's, uh, it's, um, it's uh, Om Mene Padme Hom. And um, mm-hmm. I learned about it through uh, Ramdas. And so you can learn those types of mantra-based meditations that you repeat. And they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll calm your mind. It gives the mind something to kind yeah, of that's like. That's crazy. I grew up saying yeah. that, like, you know, because I'm Buddhist. I grew up Buddhist. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up saying that at, like, all the temples. Like, almighty. Wow. Yeah. Almighty Padme Home. Yeah. Like, we used to say that all the time. That's that's mm-hmm. interesting that how, because um, yeah. for, for me, like, a lot of this, like, meditation, the concept of. Uh, speaking with your inner self like it's it's always been a part of like kind of like how 
you know, Roman Catholics, when they see a church, like they kind of have to, you know, do their thing with the fingers. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these things for me is just cultural. And uh, mm-hmm. it's exciting to hear that a lot of uh, something that is very cultural to me, it's it's becoming more mass it's and it's helping other people mm-hmm. outside of yeah. my media community. So I want to kind of um, circle back into uh, this sense of like having a, have, having a different mindset when you go into work. So mm-hmm. especially like agencies like RGA uh, mm-hmm. all the way down to, you know, a company like Google, these are mm-hmm. prestigious establishments that people, um, they, they really, that's kind of like their career goals, you know what I mean? To get a job at some place like that. And yeah, you know, they build their resume it, around. Yeah. It. It's, it's kind of like, especially getting on a more technical side of Google. Like I heard is kind of like a Holy grail, you know what I mean? And uh, the type of people that they recruit, I'm assuming, as Jojo and I mentioned earlier, like, yo, some of these guys come, went to some of the most prestigious colleges, uh, in the United States, uh, if not in the Mm -hmm. world. And, um, you with your background, a high school dropout, went to a technical school in Mississippi, a skater is now sitting in this room with these, uh, people that Mm -hmm. kind of came from for, for someone like you, for someone like you, you might look at it like, yo, that's, motherfuckers came from in a bubble man like yeah yeah y'all yeah. y'all know y'all know how real is what real shit is out here you know what i'm saying so I, I you know what kind of like mindset um do you have when you're in a room with some of these people that you might feel like it's very different from you uh in terms of your background and like do you feel like yo i don't think they work hard as me you know what i mean do you do you, do mm-hmm. you ever feel that sort of like um the sense of like urgency Absolutely. I think it's also starting, you know, I'm starting to see what that was. It's definitely a sense of urgency. And that's why I've always fallen back on skills. Like I'm going to figure out everything and I'm going to create these skills so that I can work in these spaces where a lot of times I see these guys who can just, they've been in school, they've gone to these great universities. And so they're calmer and more relaxed because I've always looked at it as like, what do they know? And what is the thing that I haven't figured out yet? Right. Mm. And I, I realized that that's, that comes back to what you said. That's just a mindset because, um, you know, there's also people who have gone to schools and you do look at them. You're like, dude, I'm catching you right now telling me you can't do this. And I'm going to go and I'm going to get the documents and I'm going to show you that you can do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll help people sometimes be more inspired about completing certain tasks because mm-hmm. we, I think that school route, that traditional route can kind of make you feel like you don't have to constantly stay sharp or you don't have to continually prove yourself because there's always something to fall back on. I've always felt like at any moment I could lose everything and it's going to be gone. And like, how long is this going to last? Is this too good to be true or whatever it is? And I think I've always kind of been like, well, I have the skills. So if today I get fired for whatever reason, just my paranoia in my head, just being like, you know, how I've, where I've come from. It's like, I have these skills that I can figure out how to support myself, but I didn't see myself for a long time as the same because I didn't come from a big university. I don't have like, you know, the PhD and all this other stuff in computer science, but I may not speak the same language or use the same terminology all the time, but I understand it Mm -hmm. and I can get to work. And that's, that's what I 
love to encourage other people is like, can you get to work? That's yeah. the thing. And you sent us a note prior. And what was really awesome was what you mm -hmm. said of how Google was never your goal. Mm -hmm. um, it was design. And yeah. it was simply an outcome of your love and care for learning. And I think a lot of maybe students are pressured to have goals against like very concrete things like Google. Okay, I need to work at Google or I need to go mm -hmm. to Harvard instead of yeah. really evaluating like, what do I love doing? What do I love pursuing? And I think you did it in the most earnest way and you got there as everybody else. But then it feels more fulfilling because even after Google, like you're gonna still have that. That didn't define your identity. You know, also like you, you mentioned understanding RGA, Jakey, and like these, you mm -hmm. know, kind of these more great, agency spaces i mean like that was an example too i just like nike stuff mm -hmm. and i was like on the internet and i was like who makes nike stuff oh <laughs> this place rga let me try to get a job there maybe i could work on nike stuff but i didn't get to work on nike stuff at first they put me on like toilet bowl cleaners <laughs> you know what i'm saying and like i was just trying to figure out my way and then i would work on the shitty stuff and then I would be like, hey, do you have any work no one else wants to work on? How can I help you? And I would slowly chip away at figuring out how to learn the better design or learn how to make things the other way. Because I was very much a production designer. I was very much a tactical, skill-based person. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand like design systems. I didn't understand design theory and all this other layer and world of design, which I saw these guys doing. And I was like these guys are fucking badass. Yeah. And so that helped me, you know, gain these little bits along the way. And Google was the same way. Like I had friends who I worked with at RGA who now work at Google and they would hit me up and I was freelancing at the time. And my friend was like, just come and freelance on our team. I, I really think you'd like this project and, and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I might get bored. I mean, what am I going to do there? Right. Cause I came from like, just hardcore advertising design, like make beautiful stuff. Like what's the craziest idea you can do? Well, let's make it. And that's not really tied to a user all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's just make cool shit. And, um, once I got to Google and I did that little freelance stint, another friend of mine who worked on another Nike account worked in the product space. And he was like, Hey man, I think I'm going to go do some other stuff. You should come work with this. Um, this director and she's like super amazing <laughs> i'm like getting a little emotional because she's like so dope mm -hmm. um but like uh I, I i i was like okay i'll try it and i went and i, I worked with her and like mm -hmm. psh, it just changed everything and i was like okay i'll try to do this mm -hmm. and she kind of told me she was like you need to you need to work here for for a little while as a freelancer and like you know let me help you and I'll show you some things because you have it all, mm -hmm. but this is a product space. And she had been in the advertising space as well. Mm -hmm. And so she knew a little bit different ways of working. Yeah. Like, you know, in the advertising space, you're not working with engineers and guiding things through hardcore product roadmaps all the time. It's slowly changing in the agency space with some products, but it's not the same. Yeah. And so that really is what happened. And if it wouldn't have been for her, I don't know if I would be working at Google. Yeah. Because word, I would. Uh, yeah. Can yeah. we give her a shout out? What's her name? Her, yeah. Her name is Cynthia Moore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, she sounds so amazing. Sometimes, like, you just need that one person who believes in you 
and Definitely. you start believing in yourself. And that's so awesome that you had that. Yeah, having a mentor, like, I mean, we constantly emphasize it in our podcast, like, yo, um, you know, don't be shy to like reach out to people and try to build a relationship mm-hmm. with a mentor because essentially, like, I mean, I feel like some people, they feel like there's a sense of pride and mm-hmm. they feel like they need to figure shit out by themselves. But yeah, yo, like these people kind of, it's, it's like going on a journey yeah. and if they went on that route already, they probably know a thing or two that they could share with you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Why would you make yourself, make it difficult for yourself when you could take all these advice and all this info from other people? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You, you know, what's even crazier is, um, our birthdays are the same day. <gasps> When's your birthday? And March 14th. Mm, oh, Oh, and it just so, passed. Yeah, happy man. Happy belated. Just, happy belated, man. And Cynthia, Thank too. You. Thank word, you. Word, word, yeah. word. Well, you know, and so when you meet certain people and you're like, okay, I deal with all these things, you know, I'm a Pisces. Mm-hmm. I'm a super emotional person. Yes. I deal with all these different environments mm-hmm. and these energies and, and this is who I am. How do you get up and just, you're so a matter of fact, you, you manage all these things, you juggle this stuff, you're so on point, like, sh- you know, how do you do that? Are you really a Pisces? You know what I'm <laughs> uh-huh, saying? Uh-huh. And she's like, no, I am. And, and, and so like, it's, I think you, like you said, Jakey, like connecting with mentors and things and finding people out in the world who are similar and you can relate to even on those other things that you may question about yourself or that you feel at times is, is what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh my God. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so we kind of want to, uh, like, I mean, you've listed a bunch of great projects and, um, a lot of good things. Can you just tell us like one, what was like your favorite project right now, uh, that you've done? If you could just kind of tell our listeners. Okay. So, well, um, I'd say I have, I have to kind of break it down in the agency space mm-hmm. and in the product space. So in the agency space, I worked on a, a project that was for Nike basketball. And um, basically it was like a green screen at the basketball courts in the Bronx. And um, kids would do these little basketball moves and they would shoot, shoot the ball. And then at the end of the, the stage, it would print out the graphics that we made of like their signature move of their oh favorite gosh. pro ball player. And so that was a really fun project and got to work with like tons of amazing designers and people. And it was, it was really a, a big team effort. And I saw all this stuff come together and it was, it was beautiful physical stuff in the world. And there was all these like digital graphics. And so it was awesome. And so that's probably one of my most favorite projects and things that I worked on. And then at Google, I got to work on this project called Jamboard. Mm. And um, it's like a digital whiteboard. And uh, basically people can be anywhere and collaborate. You can write on the whiteboard, you can be on your desktop, you can be on your phone. And then at the end, basically it just shares what you've been talking about and collaborating with in like a PDF document or a presentation. And it's, it's the physical product and it's the digital software, you know, it's the software and the hardware as one. And so that whole process was a lot of fun, you know, working with like an industrial designer and the, the people on the team were amazing. All the engineers were so amazing. And so that was a lot of fun too. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, man. Um, so, you know, we've, we spoke about, we've spoken about your journey. We've spoken about, um, you know, the process of how, uh, like you decompose and you know try to survive in this 
environment. And we even talked about like some of your favorite projects that you've done thus far. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, we live in a capitalistic society <laughs> and 699 per pound podcast is an occupation podcast. So we do always ask our guests, you know, what the money situation <laughs> is looking like in, in your respective industry. You know what I mean? So because, uh, you know, like people want to know, like people want to know, like this isn't Glassdoor, but we do want to know, like, what are the benefits and the monetary compensation? So if you could kind of like. Uh, if to get, you know, we like for, for someone like um, have crossed your trajectory, right? Like mm-hmm. being a designer for an agency uh, dealing with smaller to maybe bigger accounts to now mm-hmm. working at a company like Google as a senior AR visual designer. Um, what is like the ballpark of like a person should be making? I mean, you definitely. Well, I kind of feel like there's two things that I had a conversation with Jojo about learning about negotiation Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. people say these things. Um, I learned about it a long time ago during a startup where this guy was like an intern and his friend was a director and he was like, no, change the signature on your, you know, on your emails to say, you know, visual designer or designer, not Mm -hmm. intern. And he was like, no, I don't want to get in trouble. And he was like, no, just do it because he is a fucking badass designer. (laughs) And so people started seeing all his work and they're like, oh, we want you to work on this project, da, da, da. And then HR contacted him and they were like, hey, we don't have your stuff for payroll. He was like, oh my God, I'm going to get in Mm -hmm. trouble now. And his friend was like, no, dude, fill it out and don't ask for anything less than 100K. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, he told me this story and I was like, dude, what? And he was kind of saying how like, you know, these companies and, you know, brands that are working with them, they have these budgets. And if you're doing the work and you have the skills, just say it and see what happens and then negotiate. It is a negotiation. And I was always so timid Mm -hmm. of that. But I think now in, in the space, as you become more senior, you definitely should be making from the range of 150 to two mm-hmm, from the gate, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just the responsibility, the skills that you acquire, all that stuff. Like that's pretty normal. And then if you work for a large product company, you definitely need to figure out stock. And that mm-hmm. was new for me. I'd never worked anywhere where there was stock or anything mm-hmm. like that. And so I actually felt that I was making mm-hmm. less money moving to the product space because of the agency space. Because I freelanced for years before mm-hmm. coming to Google, and I usually charged about one twenty mm-hmm. an hour. And so, you know, some days you're working thirteen hour days, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, that's yeah. great money. You still pay taxes on that, but it's it can it can be great money. And then if you're working seven days a week, you're mm-hmm. making really good money. And so, uh, I took a huge cut, but they gave me a little bit more in stocks, and I didn't really make that much money for the first couple of years, I felt like, but stocks started to compound and then I saw interest from that. And so I think people should learn about that. They should learn designers and, 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 you know, UX people, whatever in the world of the job you're going for. I think that's something they should learn because I wasn't, I didn't care about any of that stuff. I didn't know Mm -hmm. about any of it. I just wanted to work. Right. I just wanted to work and make cool stuff and, and do these things and play with these tools And so now, you know, five years in at Google, I'm like, okay, these are the things that I need to be telling Mm -hmm. other people about, like learn about stocks, learn about your 401k, learn about all these other things that 
will help you yeah. as you step in. Nah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, shit, yo, Alphabet, Alphabet in class A right now <laughs> is down 1,680. You know what I'm saying? Like the market has been turbulent lately. So if you're trying to get in, get in now. But, um, you know, my point is like, yeah, like not nah, exactly to your point, though. Like, I feel like a lot of people, especially people in the creative industry, um, they're like, yo, like, they have this idea that, yo, money is the root of all evil and shit. You know what I'm saying? Yo, yeah. like, if that's the case, then how the fuck are you paying for everything <laughs> that you love to do? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, because, nah, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, man. It, you, you know, like, you buying all these Nikes, but what the fuck yeah. is Nike doing yeah. for you? You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so I, I, think, I think that's kind of like this misconception or misguided knowledge that um, this capitalistic propensity of, like, just fucking fooling its people to spend money but the people mm -hmm. that really knows knows how yeah. to make money yeah you know what right. I mean? and I, I don't think that should be something that only exists on wall street i think that should also exist in the design field like yourself i mean you just said a senior designer in your position uh should be making anywhere between 150 to 200k now to some yeah. people that might sound like an astronomical figure like oh man i could never make that in my lifetime but you have a person like yourself, yo, high school dropout. I, yeah. I took I took care of my own route. I learned I taught myself how to do this shit. And I could yeah. still get here. And I think that's yeah. really inspirational. And even on top of that, you're telling us like, yo, learn mm -hmm. about your 401k. Learn about how to invest in a public company that you yeah. work for, like Google, mm -hmm. and fucking get like, you know, discounts on stocks. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. yo, like take advantage of these situations. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I totally, Absolutely. I think I really got two things out of this conversation. Number one, realizing mm -hmm. that, you know, I think all of us, we're not from a family where they're financially literate. Like all the terms you threw out, they've never had a 401k. You know, my parents are immigrants, mm -hmm. you know, and we're starting behind the start line, right? Like a lot of kids who grew up with privilege or, you know, their families pass on like generation to generation. Like I remember going to USC and talking to a friend and he was like, yeah, like for uh, my bar mitzvah, you know, I got stocks for my birthday. And I was like, what? what? And he's like, and, and, and maybe I'm stereotyping, but he was just saying like, oh yeah, it's pretty common. Like at least like in my community, like the Jewish nah, it community. Is, it is like, yo, like, you know, when, um, when I left, uh, you know, there was like, uh, I think around the time mm -hmm. of the recession, like I was an intern at a media company and like some of these kids that were yeah. older than me, they were about to graduate from college. And I was like, yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, I got some bar mitzvah money that I could sit on for like mm -hmm. a year. And I was like, much bar mitzvah money do you have mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and like mm -hmm. these fools had like 30 to 50k and you know as a 19 20 year old kid i was like yo you, you loaded right off the <laughs> like right off the bat you starting yeah. off with that you know what i mean so you know like yeah. I, at the time i was making ten dollars an hour like working mm -hmm. at muji you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. like it's it was like a, a complete shift in my understanding of how economics and finance works yeah. and you yeah. know i think knowledge is key and appreciates appreciate you for sharing yeah, this and you know i totally agree because we have to be the generation that breaks that cycle you know that we have to mm -hmm. educate like <laughs> educate our people so we can like break ourselves out mm -hmm. of poverty whatever but another thing i also took away from you is that you know sometimes we feel like when we're in an underdog situation we feel like 
with our companies, like, oh my gosh, thank you for having me, right? You know, thank you for hiring me. And we kind of come from a place of like, what can I do for you? But I think really shifting that to like, Mm -hmm. what can you do for me? Because you might be really nervous Mm -hmm. about asking them for, you know, maybe a 10% raise or negotiating, but you have to remember, Mm -hmm. you know, like Brad from, you know, Brad who has four years less experience than you, you know, who's applying is asking for twice as much as you, you know, like there are going to be people who don't have the skills, but have the audacity. And unfortunately the Mm -hmm. way our corporate structures work, you know, he might get rewarded and they might be like, Oh, thank God. I thought she was going to ask for more. So whenever you're doubting yourself and your worth, you just have to remember that next person, you know, might be half as good as you, but asking for twice as more. You've mentioned that uh, you're not the best, uh, you're you're not like the best public speaking type of individual. Mm -hmm. And for someone like yourself, like, are are, are there any like negotiation um, Mm -hmm. tips that you have, uh, you have um, picked up uh, throughout your career? Yeah. Um, I'd say the biggest negotiation tip is realizing that it's a negotiation, Mm -hmm. you know, that's exactly what it is. And to not like when the fear starts to come up of like, is this going to keep me from getting the job? All it's going to be is like a no Mm -hmm. or where you're at. Like if there's something already on the table, right. And then you work from there. Um, and so for me, it was kind of like, yeah, realizing that it's a negotiation, like, cause I was always just thankful to get the job because I just wanted the job, right? I, that's what I needed. And so I still have the skills. They still want me. How can I negotiate better? And so it was just coming back with more of my ammunition for why they were accepting me in the first place. And so going back and like, okay, let me think about this and then look through my stuff and like figure out like how I want to have that conversation when I come back to the phone or come back to the table and like sit and prepare. Like don't just go in there Mm -hmm. like all heated and mad, like actually think about what you want to say. Think about why you care or why you need these things Mm -hmm. and be honest. Like I was honest, um, you know, transferring into Google with being like, Hey, I'm coming from the agency space. Mm -hmm. Like I make this much money you know, what's going on. And then the the person I was working with was like educating Mm -hmm. me on stocks and like how the interest of the stocks are like, and I was like, Oh shit. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Okay. That's cool. And so then I, I went back and I looked at that and I started researching and figured out, Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, okay, that makes sense. So I'm going to take a little bit of a step back now, but then it's going to compound and snowball later. And so, yeah, I think that's a big part I learned you know, obviously that wasn't my negotiation tactic, but with other things and freelance projects, it was really much like, this is really a back and forth. And I have to get comfortable with just letting them know they need these skills. Let's work back and forth and figure out like the number that works for both of us. So with that said, we kind of want to ask you like, what are some tips that you would like to uh, share with designers uh, if they want to get a job at like a company like Google? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you definitely have to understand UX. You have to understand like user experience and what the product, or, like what product design is. Not just design, but like understanding product design. And it's it's all centered around the user. You know what I'm saying? Like from design and the the lens of design, it can be all this fun stuff. And I also, I'm kind of a weird person because I think about art as an experimental phase into design. 
and it, it helps you get ideas that create solutions that you can design further. So a lot of people say, no, art mm-hmm. is art and design is design. But um, I think ex- understanding, experimenting and prototyping and how that works in the product space, because a lot of times you're not doing that sometimes in the agency space as much. And so understanding how to prototype really well, understand how to test and then also the things that you're testing or you're thinking or whatever you're designing, like these little projects you're doing for yourself or however you're learning, like the reflection and basically like the retrospective of like what you've done. Because a lot of people just make stuff and they think it's cool or it's done really well, but they never take a moment to reflect and be like, this mm-hmm. is what I would have done differently or this is what we sh- this is what the team should have done differently or this is what we should change. And next time I'm going to do that because it shows like you're thinking about the future, you're reflecting on what's been done and it's kind of tied to all that in the user space to make the product better. And I think that's that's definitely something that designers should think more about is like the whole, the holistic of like product design. Got you. So let me just try to wrap it up just for, um, just Mm -hmm. so for the listeners that probably don't have their attention span (laughs) as deeply (laughs) invested as we are, you know what I mean? So first and foremost, they got to understand how UX UI works, right? Prototype test and understanding does number one, (laughs) bong. Number two, you know, they got to reflect how things should have been done and thinking about the future because, you know, it's essentially mm-hmm. a form of strategy. It, 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 it tells uh, it tells it tells uh, whoever that's working with you or might be recruiting you that, OK, this person thinks about what will come after. And sorry, mm-hmm. what was the last last tip that you wanted to share? There, there was one more. I forget. Um, well, I. I think the most important, exactly what you said, but mm. always start with the user. Always, always start with start with the user. Always start with the user first, and then know the use cases. Know you know how to create journeys of like what the people, what the person is going to be doing, and like the use cases. And so that all starts to develop what you'll be making and how you're going to make it, and then solve it more. And so then it can move into like what you're talking about, like prototyping and testing these things. And then you're going to iterate on that and push it forward. But even after, yeah. And then even after you build it or whatever, probably like your shows, you always look back after mm-hmm. each show, like, okay, we could have done this better. We could have done this differently. And I think that's important for people and designers that, to, to think, oh, what could I have done better? Let me make a note of that and try to figure out how to actually act on it. Yeah. Amazing, man. Thank you so much for uh, all the tips your guidelines, your experience, mm-hmm. your journey, um, even like negotiating t- negotiation tips and the mathematics behind like what a designer in your position should be making. Uh, but with that said, I mean, Jojo, is there anything else you would like to add? Because I know um, it's a Sunday. I know Seth probably has other things to take care of, even though he, you know, we're all social distancing. <laughs> um, I mean, I was really always drawn to how you're so successful but i think you are so humble and you are so open about your experience and i think it's such a blessing that we got to meet you and learn about your story and i think that's why i love this podcast so much like i want you know someone like my little brother to hear this or i want you know the kids who really feel like everyone's telling them that you know they're not they're dumb or like they're but everyone's kind of putting them down because they're not being understood to know that there are so many different paths. And as long as you just work on yourself and as long as you face positive, I think there's so much 
um, distance that you can go. And, you know, you've been inspired by so many people in the past, as if you've alluded to, but now you're in a position where you can be that person for others. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Amazing, man. Thank you so much. Um, so with that said, uh, we usually wrap up. Actually, we always wrap up all of our interviews with two key questions. Uh, I'm going I'm to I'm hit you with the first one. What is the most significant relationship in your life? Mm, definitely my wife. Yeah. Hey. Shout out to my, my wife. Tell us a yeah. little bit about your wife. Uh I mean, from day one, she's just supported me. You know, she's helped me so much. She, she like, I met her in Mississippi when I moved back to kind of like get my GED and, you know, reconnected with my dad and started going to school. And she was around me seeing my mom when she was addicted, you know, smoking crack, like in the streets, going places where people don't go. And, um, basically she just helped me through that time and she saw how much it was affecting me and she just didn't act like oh mm -hmm. this is weird this is too much she 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 realized like oh life is not a fairy tale like people are going through things mm -hmm. things things are are happening and you're dealing with some shit and i got your back and i was like yo this is amazing and so yeah, she's yeah. been she's she's always been like that for me. She's always like helped me and you know giving me this space to help me work on myself so that I could move forward in you know my career. And I try to do the same for her. And it's a balance, you know. It's like, what do you need right now? Let me help you. And she just she really gets that. So yeah, it, it's definitely my wife. Yeah. Um, and another question that we ask all of our guests, what is your personal, mm -hmm. personal mantra? We talked a little bit about mantras in this episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think my personal mantra mm -hmm. is less suffering. It's definitely less suffering. I mean, it's, it's come up more and more as I've read things and, and, and kind of rested on that. But I, I I just, I realized like mm -hmm. there's so much suffering going on and people struggle with things and things I've been through. I'm like, I want to stop the continuation of that when mm -hmm. people interact with me, right? Like today I want to get up. I want to make sure that whatever I do, I don't continue suffering in the world. Like I don't make someone's day worse or if they interact with me, like I, they don't feel worse than they did you know, beforehand, like they walk away feeling like better or inspired or whatever that is. And so each day I try to think about that for myself and what is that for other people interacting with me? Yeah. Amazing. Word. I mean, shit. I, I said amazing more times than Jojo does <laughs> You're usually. You're inspired. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... I mean, on that note, Seth, uh, before we let you go, man, um, is there anything else that you would like to add that we uh, maybe has uh, maybe we didn't touch upon? Well, I mean, you know, Rob Lim introduced me to you guys and, you know, we, we, we've Ooh, been yeah. working on a project called Portrait. And yeah. And so it's basically it's a brand, but it started from like really his story, mm -hmm. his Korean American story and, you know being in the U.S., but family from Korea, growing up here, trying, you know, feeling like, oh, I'm not the white dude. I don't fit in, but everybody sees mm -hmm. me as like the foreign Asian kid, right? And so what is that? Like, and then he had skating that helped grounded him, right? And 
And so we've, he, I kind of saw some things that he was working on on the side and, and sketching. And I was like, you know, I always try to pick mm-hmm. his brain. I'm like, what are you working on right now? And he showed me these sketches and he kind of talked about this a little bit. And I was like, dude, you got to do something with this. Like you can't just not. And so, um, you know, it, it has the sun and the moon, all of us all over the earth, you know, we share the sun and the moon. And so it has a lot of like, him explaining this story of like dualism and and and, and each person mm-hmm. when they struggle with like that identity and like the pic that picture that it is right and so we've been working on that together and it's beautiful and we're like starting the foundation of it and we're gonna move it forward and so um yeah that that's really ties into kind of like meeting y'all and like him connecting me with y'all and then you know marcus has been helping us with some uh, righteous sounds for the audio visual stuff so that's yeah. awesome i noticed that portrait yeah, was on your ig account and yeah. the t-shirts look amazing they only they have mediums to extra large still i see so everyone should take a look yeah yeah D- dm dm rob about the sizes if you need a different one so <laughs> yeah he's he, you know he's the apparel fashion guy yeah and so that's kind of how we're connecting and as we evolve it like his his skills and and world of design and then my skills and world of design and then us pushing that forward and you know making a, a larger experience as it as it goes but yeah 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 man it's fun Again, thank you so much for joining us. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you could find where where can we find you? Um on like uh some of the social platforms. Well, I mean, I'm on Instagram, just Seth.cheeks. It's just kind of me throwing up fun stuff. It's nothing, you know, that much. But you know, portrait and then the drivenewyork.com. That's basically me and my wife working together on her brand. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, just Seth Cheeks, you know. And so, yeah. Word. Sounds amazing. Sounds righteous. So on that note, uh, it's another episode of 699 per pound podcast. You know, you could stream all the podcast episodes. You could now binge it, especially now you're at the crib. Um, Just like (laughs) shut off and just listen to all the episodes that we have pumped out into this universe. uh, Available on iTunes, uh, Spotify, you name it. We're on there. Follow 699 per pound podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, again, you know, I know I know shit is kind of going crazy, but if you could support us with any sort of monetary backing, uh, we're on anchor, anchor.fm 699 per pound slash support. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, another great episode. Thank you. Seth, thank you so much for uh, sharing all your insight. Thank you. You know, as we mentioned earlier on in this episode, check out some of the mantras, do some meditation. Um, and yo, read a book, buy some stocks. Peace. Peace. Hey yo, it's 699 per pound. Podcast.